When I started my sophomore year of college, I was scared to death because I had to take Greek. <laughs> you know, and typically when you're any kind of discipline of study, there's going to be a course or two that you, th- you just kind of dread because you hear all these horror stories about. And I thought, how am I ever going to, you have to pass two years of Greek to be able to, to finish your education. So I was just in fear and trepidation. So the guys that told me, now if you just memorize the rules, memorize the rules, memorize the words, your vocabulary, and the vocabulary was just incredible. And um, it, it seemed that the best trick to do that, to memorize all the vocabulary, is these guys would write down the word in Greek on one side of a little card, and then on the other side, they'd put the English word, and then they put a little hole in there and put it on a big ring and put that around their belt. So it was the nerdiest looking thing. I mean, you can imagine walking around campus, this big ring with all these cards on it. So I didn't, I didn't do that, but I did do the cards <laughs> because it, it helped me learn. And I thought of all the ways you, you learn, for me, one of the most difficult things to do is to look at a piece of paper and just stare at it and remember what was on there. And so I've found ways to probably make my mind work, uh, to talk things through. In fact, this morning, Pete and I were talking about reading through the Bible. He asked me if I'd heard of this particular uh, Bible program that will read to you the Scripture for the day. And I said, I think it's a great idea. I did that last year, went through the Bible just listening to it. And it's amazing how many things you pick up when, instead of reading it, Someone else is reading it to you, and in a different translation is also helpful. So I'd like to ask you, what, what way, in what way do you learn the best? Is it reading? Is it listening to an audio book? Is it watching television? What's the best way that you learn? I think that probably most of us will learn best by example, and our kids will learn best by example. And I think it's, it's powerful that when Jesus was teaching his disciples, we talked this morning a little earlier when Jason was talking about teaching these college students, you disciple them or teach them by example. So Jesus said, follow me. And they came, they were with him, they watched him, and they became like him. The text that we're going to look at this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 5, and it begins by saying, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And then he goes on to say, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, the theme is pretty consistent with what we've been talking about the last few months, when it says, walk in love, meaning that your lifestyle, your behavior, the way you live out everything, your way of life, let it be characterized, dominated by love. We know know that that's the admonition. We are to live lives full of love, to walk in love, and to follow Christ. But he says we do this by imitating. Some of your translations may say be followers of God. And that's a, that's a good translation, but I think more accurate, the word is in the, in the Greek is mimic, to mimic, to look at something 
sometimes that's good, sometimes that, that's bad. Do you ever see your kids doing the same things you do, and you think, I can't believe it. Where did they learn that? <laughs> Must have been their mother. Um, in good ways and bad ways, you walk. Sometimes a person has a unique way that they walk. In other words, you know, we, we all walk a certain way. And I don't think we think about it, how am I walking? But then you watch the little ones walk behind you, they're walking the same way. They how are they going to help this? And they learn. They learn by watching. They learn by observing. And that should make you a little nervous and, and a little humble <laughs> about your life. And so the Apostle Paul, in writing this letter, and, and we're kind of jumping into Ephesians chapter 5. It's what we call a prison epistle. He's writing from prison. He's in Rome. He's going to be tried. Eventually, he's going to be put to death for his faith. And typical with Paul's writing He's, he'll lay out a lot of doctrine, a lot of teaching, and then a lot of application. So I look at Ephesians as the first three chapters, rich with doctrine, describing the truth. And then when we look at chapter 4 and on through chapter 6, we just see how this plays out. How do we apply that? How, how do we take what God says is truth and really make it practical? And my prayer is every Sunday, and I hope that I can do that to help you see that God's Word is meant to be lived out, not just to stimulate your thinking. If you go back to chapter 4, we see his concern because 4, 5, and 6 are really talking about the walk. And I, I would look at it this way, worship and truth, chapters 1 through 3, chapters 4, 5, and 6 He's talking about the walk. But in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What have you been called to? You've been called to be a Christian, a little Christ, a follower of God, a child of God. So walk worthy of that. How, how do I live a life worthy of God? Well, it's a supernatural work. You can't do it in your own energy and own flesh. I like to describe it this way when I, I think of this. Walking a worthy walk or, or, or walking in love, we need to understand the source of all life and all love and all pleasure before God. We worship God for who He is. So for me to, to walk in a ma- manner pleasing to him or pleasing to God, I need to find out what is pleasing to God. In chapter 5, verse 10, he says, we're finding out what pleases the Lord. And so a life worthy is a life that is pleasing to God. Think about this. If you, if you were to study the nature and character of God, what is God like? That's, that really lays a foundation for what I need to be like. If I am godly or godlike or imitating God, I need to know what I'm imitating. Typically, what we subconsciously imitate is what's around us, which is not good. <laughs> you know, you say, well, I spend a lot of time at the mall, or I spend a lot of time on TV, or I spend a lot of time with my old friends we naturally will tend to adopt to our surroundings. I, I believe this, to, to imitate God needs to be intentional. It has to be something that you decide 
you are, are going to do. It's it, you don't just walk outside and take a stroll and begin to absorb a God-like character and imitate God. There needs to be an intentional plan to look, observe, study his character and his nature. So I think, and I do say this quickly because I, I do cover these things often with you, but what, what is God like? My first description of God is that he is holy. Uh, not just meaning that he's pure and clean and spotless and without sin, but he, in, in the sense of holy, he is transcendent. He transcends everything. He, he overrides everything. He is above everything. He is transcendent. Second, he's self-existent. All of us have needs. There's not a person in here who doesn't have a need. You came in here this morning with needs. God has no needs. He doesn't need anything. He is self-existent. God is creator of all things. Now, a lot of times we start getting upset about that, like saying, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And, and really what we're talking about is the, the fall of man or the corrupting influence of a fallen world. God made everything, and after he did, he said, it is good. So this is before chapter 3 of Genesis, when sin came into the world. So God is the creator of all things. Not only is he creator, he is sustainer of the universe. Every time our heart beats, every time we draw a breath, every time the sun rises, it is, it is sustained and carried on by the mighty power of God. He is the sovereign Lord. He, in other words, he is ruler of the universe. King of kings and Lord of lords. He, in his wise administration, oversees all things. God is just and righteous. He is judge of all the earth. He will make all things right. And then we come to this, that God is good. And God is good in all that he is and all that he does. Never forget that. God is good in all that he is. And all that he does. Sometimes it's hard to figure. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. And so to believe that is an exercise of faith. We need to believe by faith that God is good and all that he is and that all that he does. Now, of all of the characteristics of God, which one of these, I've talked about him being you know, the self-existent, the transcendent, the holy, the all-powerful, the almighty, the all-wise. All, you can list all of these attributes. Which one of the attributes is the one that we should reflect? They will know that you are Christians by your love. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say because of your righteous life or your good works or your tremendous service or your discernment or your knowledge. It doesn't say that. I'm not saying that those are not important, but, but all of those other things really are going to be found in love because if, if love is there, others of those will be supported. And God is the source of love. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, God is love. Now, God's holy, too, and God's all-powerful and all-wise, but he didn't say power 
is what people will notice about you. You know, if you've got, man, power, people say, that's a Christian. Or they're really wise. Boy, what wisdom. That's a Christian. Or they have just a great sense of justice. What a tremendous Christian. No, they will see and distinguish you by love. That's it. And, and this isn't just the message of Ephesians or 1 John. This is the message of the entire body of Scripture. Love is the dominating thing, the characteristic, what comes from the Father to His children. So when you go back to chapter 5 here, it says, Be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, my kids, I love my kids. I love my grandkids. And my prayer is this, that I get nervous when I say, follow me. (laughs) Okay, you should too. But I love the way Paul said it. Follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, so so when you see me stumbling and bopping around over here, making a few uh, side turns over there, beyond me is Christ. So I'm, I'm trying to live a life imperfect as it might be, but is pursuing that, the love of God. And the only way that we can show the love of God is to know the love of God, to experience the love of God, to receive the love of God. To see it, to understand it, to read about it, to, to study what he has done for us. These are the characteristics that he wants us to show. So what does it look like? And I think that Paul writes another letter to the church in Corinth, and he talks about the importance of love. He says, uh, if, I, if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge and have all faith so that I can remove mountains... But if I have not love, I'm nothing. So in other words, if you're the greatest speaker, the greatest prayer, you can move mountains in your prayers, you, can, you, you have the golden tongue to speak, and you don't have love. He says, if I, even, if, if I surrender my body to be burned but don't have love, it's worth nothing. So what does love look like? What does your life look like? What does imitating God look like? Well, in verses 4 to 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Love is patient and is kind. Now, I think we could stop right there <laughs> and uh, not go any further and say, we got a lot of homework this week. Okay, because I think probably the, the hardest one, I look at all the lists, I think, patient, why do you put that first? Because at least I can kind of work my way to patience. You say, well, do you, struggle, do you struggle with patience? Yes. In what areas? Every area of my life. Even when I'm sick. You know, it's like, God? <laughs> now, impatience does not reflect God. So if I'm frustrated and I'm impatient, which probably leads to unkindness. You know, my words, um, they didn't always say that in my family about my words. It was sometimes my look. I said, what look? I said, you know that look, Dad. <laughs> that look, is it kind? Love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy or does not boast. In other words, it's not always talking about itself. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. 
Well, that's born into human nature. We, every day, we're looking out for ourselves, trying to insist on our own way and finding a nice way to be able to do that. It's not irritable, not resentful, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and it says it never fails. It never gives up. Love never fails. Love never gives up. Well, it's an amazing truth. This is what we're taught, but we're also given an example. And I think this is the beautiful thing that God has said. Imitate God. You, you worship God. You ascribe to his worth, chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. This is the teaching. This is the instruction. This is what the Scripture says. It should identify your life. This is what love looks like. This is where love comes from. The source is God. Now, let me give you an example. As my dad used to say when I wasn't getting something, do I need to draw you a picture? (laughs) So, did your dad do that for you too? Let me draw you a picture. I don't know if he ever really did, and I never said yes. (laughs) But God draws us a picture. He gives us an incredible example in the person of his son. And you see that that's exactly what he's done. Christ has loved us and given himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So the perfect and most beautiful, powerful demonstration of love is exactly the way God has loved you through Christ. So you know what I love about that is that it eliminates all excuses. Because when someone says to me, you need to go ahead and love, I say, but, 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 but. And there's always a reason not to love some people, like loving your enemies or loving your relatives or, or loving your neighbor. There's always a reason why in this situation I shouldn't love. But there are no excuses. When you look how Jesus Christ loved you, and stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. Meditate on it. Contemplate it. Let it run through your mind. The expression of his love is incredible. His entire life, if you read through the entire life of Jesus, it is a demonstration of love. From the time that he he looks over Jerusalem, and you say, well, he's just going to be ticked off at all that's going on. Because if, 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 if he was a God of only justice, he'd be really ticked off and probably go, that's what we'd do to our enemies. But it says, he beheld the city and he wept over it. He wept over it. He wept over it. Sinners, people, people causing problems, people not believing, people defiant, people angry. And he wept over them. But today, we don't spend a lot of time weeping over those types of things. We, we spend more time exposing them, judging them, don't we? But you see the love of Christ poured out in every way in his life. You may have heard of the book before by Charles Sheldon, In His Steps. It's a classic book, but the, the little uh, acrostic WWJD if you heard that before, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I can tell you, every time 
that comes to my mind about what I'm going to say or do or how I'm going to react. And if that comes to my mind, what would Jesus do? I go, because oh. <laughs> that's, that's not what I want to do. It is not what I want to do. It is not what I want to say. What would Jesus do? How do you respond? How do you react? What would he say? What words would he use? What would be his attitude over this? Jesus And Jesus is not milk toast. Do you remember when he drove out the money changers from the temple? He's not, he's not some weak person. In fact, what he did on the cross was the strongest, more, most powerful human demonstration ever. It is the strongest work ever done by a man in the history of the world is what he did on the cross. He was not weak. So he wasn't just lovey-dovey all the time because he was out of weakness but out of strength. It was allowed him, as it says, to give himself up. In other words, I didn't just give myself over a little bit of time, give myself up a little bit to help you. It says he gave himself up. His whole life was poured out as an offering to God for us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins was the most powerful event in human, human history, expressing to us and giving us an example, as he said to his disciples, that you should follow my steps. You should live like I have lived. You should love like I have loved you. So there is no excuse not to love in any situation, in any circumstance. The very last part that I wanted to note in this text is the ability to do that. We see the source of love is God. The example or the expression demonstrated to us is His Son. But our ability to love is a work of God. It is a work of His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in us. There's a famous book. It's been been centuries old, uh, St. Thomas Kempis, I think I have, uh, I get that right, his name, Thomas Kempis, The Imitation of Christ. Have you heard that book? It's, it's, a, it's a classic, man, I've read it. But the problem with a little bit with that book is that if I were to say, okay, describe Christ, um, he was kind, he was loving, he was gentle, and, 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 and describe everything of Christ, and I'm going to imitate that, Okay. So tomorrow morning I get up and I go, okay, here we go. I'm going to do that. Number one, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. You can't do it. You need to understand that loving like God loved you, like Christ has loved you, is an impossible work, humanly speaking. And it cannot take place unless you gain strength from him, a supernatural strength from the indwelling Christ, by the strength of the Spirit. When I think of this, that the ability to love and to imitate God is a work of God made possible by His Son and helped by His Spirit. It's from God, through His Son, and by His Spirit. So for me to imitate God, to imitate Christ, to live the life of love is not something that I can do academically. There must be a new heart given to me. 
And there must be a, a dependence upon his strength to do that. So for me, it necessitates daily the prayer to God to help, help me, Lord. Because in my nature, there is nothing about me that is going to produce a life of love. That's why I feel, how do, you, how do you explain during an election so many angry Christians? I mean, I see people going like this. You know, Trump is great, Trump's horrible. And they're all Christians. And they're angry, and they're mean, and they're unkind, and they're vengeful and spiteful. And you know, if we didn't have an election, we'd have something else. How do, how do Christians, and I've and I found this in my experience of being in ministry for a long time now, is that there are a lot of Christians that know a lot of Bible, can quote a lot of verses, know a lot of doctrine, but know nothing of the love of Christ. And you know what First John, it says in First John, if we don't love, we don't know God. That's, to me, a pretty powerful statement. I don't care how many creeds you can quote, how many doctrinal statements that you know, how many verses you know, or how much truth that you can share with others, or how how much error you can expose. Aha, I got a verse for that, I got a verse for that, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And when there's no love, there's no Christ. There's no God. There's no salvation. That ought to cause us to stop and think about this. Because when you have a personal, real, intimate relationship with a loving Heavenly Father, you will be like your loving Heavenly Father. When you spend time with a loving God, a loving Christ, a loving Holy Spirit, your life will reflect that. You will imitate that. And so when I read God's Word, I don't, I don't read it just for knowledge. I read it that He might change my life, help me to become like Him, help me to follow His ways, help me to, to show His love to the world. And all of this pleases God. He delights to see His children look like Him. Because it's good. This isn't vanity on God's part. Because God is good. And when his children behave like that, imitating him, walking like him, following him, walking in love, God delights in that, in his children. He takes great pleasure in it. So it says that he offered himself up for us an offering as a sacrifice to God, as a fragrant aroma. And it's like, it's like a fragrant aroma, a pleasure to God to see his children walk in love. So I ask you this morning, as we conclude, a takeaway for us. Is love the dominating characteristic of your life? It should be. It can be. There is nothing more fulfilling for you, nothing that will bring more peace or more joy than when you walk in his steps 
and live the life of love? So we reflect on this this morning. Walk in love, imitate Christ. So I'll leave you with walk in love, imitate Christ. And in saying that, you know that you have the source of your Father, the example of His Son, and the ability provided by His Spirit to walk in love. And that kind of living will change this world. Not exposing error but living the love of God through Christ to us. Walk in love. Imitate Christ. Father, thank you for these words. We drift from that intimate, close, abiding relationship that produces a life reflecting the love of God. Help us, Lord, to know your love, to experience your love, to give thanks for your love, and to imitate that in the strength of your spirit. And Lord, I pray that Valley Community Church and the people that are a part of this church, this would be for us the great characteristic of our lives and of our church, the love of God expressed in Christ to us. Lord, may you answer that prayer according to your will. We know it is your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.